Hello and welcome back to another episode of De Stefano Talks. On today's episode of the podcast, it's a little bit different to what we're used to, although it does kind of go back to where we were before the change in January. Back in November, I sat down with Talk Sport and Hibs TV presenter David Tanner to discuss all things about his career in the media. Uh, we spoke about how he got started and where he is now and how he deals with the ever-evolving world of social media. Just before we go into the episode with David himself, um, I just want to give a quick shout out to my good friends Beans and Fitzy on the Fitz Been Happening pod. Um, they've had me on quite a few times and it's about time I paid them back. So if you are a Spotify or an iTunes user, head on over there. Fitz Been Happening and you will hear them talk about all things that have been happening in the world. Also, just a quick shout out to David and his podcast, which is the Edinburgh Footy Podcast. Um, if you haven't already heard it, David interviews people from across the, the other side of Scottish football, the Edinburgh Derby uh, side of it. He interviews uh, ex-players from Hibs and Hearts. Uh, it's a great listen, and if you haven't heard it, then go listen, go subscribe, and um, go enjoy it. As always, if you haven't already followed De Stefano Talks on Twitter, then head on over there. It's De Stefano Talks. Um, and you can keep yourself up to date with all the things on the podcast. New episodes, new guests. That's the place to be to find all that news out. And without dragging this on far too long, this is De Stefano Talks to David Tanner. <laughs> David, how are you doing? Stefan, I'm very well. It's pouring down here. If you can hear the sound of rain, apologies. But uh, I'm in terrific form, thank you very much. Oh, good stuff and not a problem. Um, so I suppose if the first place to, to kind of start with, um, you know, many of the, the interviews that I've done is, what was it that interested you in a career in the media? Well, I was a big supporter of football really interested in sport in general, interested in the news, interested in the media, not that it was the same amount back uh, then as there is now. And I was also a commentator at games for blind supporters. And my ambition was to be a radio commentator, which funnily enough is something I've done once in my entire career. Mm. Um, but my grandfather was blind from birth and he regularly attended football maybe granddad had no sight whatsoever but he attended football and he was um a young man when an organization that's still around today started called the rex blind parties and rex was a senior football writer at the sunday mail and he was also a showbiz writer as well. I've got his book out there from the 1940s. It's called I Saw Stars mm. by Rex Kingsley. Uh, Rex was his pen name. Back then, most newspapers, the, the writers uh, didn't um, use their own names. So Stefan Carlin might have been Stefka. <laughs> uh, or car or something like that so he was rex robert kingsley uh robert e kingsley r-e-k became rex and the rex blind party still carries his name to this day and rex um i say in his book he he talks about um been in america and interviewing laurel and hardy um so he went to hollywood and but he also covered football as well and by all accounts he used to hire a, a suite in the the central hotel in glasgow on a Saturday night, a bottle of champagne and his typewriter out and write his stuff, his match report, um, and then carry it across the road to the Sunday Mail, which was based at the bottom of Hope Street in those days. So quite a character. But he very kindly set up the first blind party for supporters, um, and that was on Christmas Day, 1937. Um, my grandfather was at the very first game at Cathkin Park, 3rd Lanark, 
versus Hearts. They used to play on Christmas Day in those days. It's mental when you think about it. And uh, Granda was uh, was there um, at that very first one. Uh, the organised one. He'd been before. Um, he told me that he went to his first game when he heard a couple of fellas discussing that they were going to the a game and he clambered on the back of their car. Um, it sounds pretty far-fetched, but my grandfather had, um, although blind, I think he had radar. Um, you know, he would he would be able to, he was very, very independent and would get around the place. So granted, it was at the games from the, the 1930s. Um, and then my father became a commentator, providing running commentaries to fans under the auspices of the Rex Blind parties. When he was just, I think he was eight, did his first one, so that'd be 1950. And then I started doing it in the 1980s um, as a schoolboy. Um, and I did that, I stopped at 16 when I got a job at Radio Clyde, um, which I'll come on to, but that, that, was, that was where it was in. So there was a commentary was, was kind of in the blood and talking about football was in the blood. I used to read the sports pages to my grandfather. Um, my grandmother was also blind. Uh, Granny Tanner was also blind. I used to read her the horoscopes and read her the, um, all the, the news on the radio because it, it we've always been a big radio family. They didn't have a TV, of course. It was all but the radio for them. So that's why radio was my favourite media, kind of almost, uh, almost... We had a television, obviously, and we watched a lot of TV, but, um, but radio was a, was a big thing. So I've kind of come full circle. I started at Radio Clyde and now working for Talk Sport, um, which is terrific fun. Uh, but painting pictures and a, a love of describing sport um, started very, very young. And there is a tape somewhere. I don't know whether it's dad's got it or whether I've got it, but a cassette of me reading out the back page of the, the Daily Record and the Herald and um, uh, as, as a, an eight or nine-year-old. Um, so that was where the early uh, interest came from. Did you find mm. your job when you were commentating um, for people that you know were blind uh, like rewarding? Very rewarding. Yeah, that's a good question. It was very, very rewarding. You would be able to see how much it meant to the people. And a lot of people will say, even now to me, why do blind fans go to the game of football and they can't see it? <laughs> um, and the answer to that is, that they enjoy the time out of the house, they enjoy the journey, they enjoy going for a beer, as everyone else does, they enjoy the camaraderie, they enjoy the atmosphere, the smell of the liniment, or whatever the sights and, you know, or the sounds and smells are of the game. And they enjoy being with their friends, they enjoy the shared experience of a goal and of a win, and that sadomasochistic enjoyment of, of losing as well. So they enjoy all of that. So, you know, and when, when a group of people jump up and down with excitement because of something you've said, it's very, 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 very um, enjoyable. It's good fun. And what, one of the great things about that is doing the, with your audience right next to you, you hear right away whether or not you're keeping up with play uh, to their um, expectation levels. Um, and they also, you know, ask you questions about it and all the rest of it. So it was the kind of first ever interactive commentary, mm -hmm. and uh, it was it was it was terrific fun to do. And you know, if I'm at games, I'm working at games. I'll often go and say hello to the the blind parties. The Celtic one is right behind the New Lennon's dugout, the home dugout at Celtic Park. Um, and there's a lot of guys I've known there for 30, 40 years since I was a kid, still going along. Um, and the one at Ibrox Park is on behind the away dugout. Uh, you can see them there on TV. Um, uh, as with Celtic, you know, when there's a, a shot of the, the manager in the dugout, you can usually see them there with their headphones on. So that was uh, very enjoyable, very rewarding. And, you know, and as I say, you know, when you were guiding people out, uh, sometimes you'd take them to their bus or you'd um, take them to a train or whatever, guide them uh, to these places. You know, you would really hear their enthusiasm for it. And, my grandfather had a great recall for games. Um, great recall for games. Um, <clears throat> I remember um, uh, being at a, a function and uh, my grandfather, uh, who not long before he died, so he'd be in his mid to late 70s, uh, was sitting next to Willie Thornton, who was part of the 
um, the great Scotland and Rangers teams of the sort of 40s and 50s. And um, he said to Willie Thornton, he said, oh, I remember you, a game you put your, your Scotland debut. This happened and that happened. And Willie Thornton said, God, that's absolutely right. <laughs> he said, I'd forgotten that myself. And he said, did you have your vision at that time, Jimmy? And he, and he said, no, 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 just from the commentary. So, um, it, you know, it means as much to the, the blind and visually impaired fans who are with their ex-blind parties as it does to, you know, to you know, people who've got full vision and, uh, and all the faculties. Growing up then, who, who would you say were your influences in the media? Well, my f- hero, my favourite broadcaster was a guy called Richard Park. Mm. And Richard Park was the lunchtime DJ at Radio Clyde. He also did a, a late night sort of saucy phone in. Um, I, 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 have to, I have to admit, I never heard that. I was just too young for that. <laughs> uh, it was called Dr. Dick's Midnight Surgery. <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure you get away with it now, but it was filled with double entendre and um, kind of saucy phone ins and all the rest of it. Famously set, sent up by. Bing Hitler, which was a, a comic act um, by Craig Ferguson, uh, who went on to become a, a massive chat show host in uh, on network TV in America. Um, but Richard Park also at the weekend was the presenter, the first presenter and the first commentator on the Super Scoreboard program at Radio Clyde. So that started in 1979. Mm. Um, and Park had great joie de vivre, you know, he had a real way of, he was from Kirkcaldy, but had a mid-Atlantic accent. He's still on the go, actually. I, I, I believe he's, um, he still runs the, still a senior position in the global, you know, the Capital Radio Group. Mm. Um, but, you know, I didn't know it as a kid, but I mean, he was one of the, probably the brightest radio minders been in Britain. Um, and I started at Radio Clyde in 1988 as a T-boy. Um, he'd left the year before. I've only met him once, actually. I was uh, very, very, I was ex- as excited meeting him as I was meeting Sean Connery, for example. So Park was incredible. And you've got to remember that in the 1980s, the coverage of sport was almost done with, with an apology. I'm terribly sorry, here's the sport now particularly in the BBC. And in those days, the sports programmes came on the air at half past three. The games were underway and they got the last five minutes of the first half for commentary and um, and then the, the second half in its entirety. And in those days, it used to be, you know, coming up this weekend, there'll be a live commentary of uh, a football game. We can't say which one. Uh, the games this weekend are Celtic v Rangers, <laughs> Clyde Bank v Motherwell, um, Kilmarnock versus Airdrieonians, and St Johnston against Falkirk. One of those games will be live, but we can't say which one. You know, it was as ridiculous as that. And Radio Scotland in particular um, was beyond dull. It was beyond dull. It was beyond worthy. Um, I mean, even into the 1990s, there were still, I mean, the format on Radio Scotland Sports Sound now is the format that we had on Super Scoreboard in the, in the late 80s and 90s. Exactly the same. Um, and, you know, it, it was like a university, it was like a university lecture with a very, very dull professor on the BBC, whereas Clyde was kind of yeehaw. And they also passed comment on Clyde. They had the hot take of the day. They had this incredible guy, Jimmy Sanderson. Mm-hmm. And if you listen back to some of the stuff, there's actually a really big chunk of them. That, um, it's popped up on YouTube, so it's been doing the rounds on the kind of um, Twitter and Facebook and WhatsApp groups, all, all the guys that worked there at the time. And uh, it's the day Celtic won the league at St Mirren Park in 1986, which of course mm-hmm. is the day that Hearts threw it away. And there's a good chunk of the programme that day. I mean, it sounds really out of date now, but there were guys passing opinions. I mean, you didn't even get predictions on the BBC. You know, so you had this old guy, Jimmy Sanderson, who died right about the same time as this, uh, right about 1986. It was very nasal voice. And, you know, everything, I said this would happen. I told you this would happen. You know, um, 
and of course back then they would get the team sheet and then say I think Rangers should drop John McClellan today and then 10 minutes they'd say oh and they have I was right or you know they'd all these sort of they, they weren't as now with these some really clever ex-international players and managers David Proven for example really bright guy guys like him call stuff before it happens whereas these guys were making it up you know I think it's about time Jock Steen brought on um, Jim Bett to this game. Scotland need Jim Bett, you know. And they would say that because he would see Jim Bett running up and down the side of the pitch. <laughs> you know. Um, but they had a way of doing it. And as I say, Park was just, um, for me, he was, um, he was just fabulous. Um, as I say, he made, they made sports sexy. They, they also fused sports coverage with pop music. As I say, he was the head of music at Radio Clyde as well. And, um, you know, a, a terrific year by all accounts for a, a, a hit. So they used to fuse music into the programme and all the rest of it. And um, so it was sexy. It was very sexy. And I, and I think the early Sky Sports, for example, which sexed up football, um, had a great, you know, to me, it reminded me of some of the stuff at Radio Clyde in those days, you know. Um, and, and Sky back then was... Uh, the main creative force, production force, was a guy called Andy Melvin, um, who was, you know, geez, what a clever, clever radio, uh, TV man uh, Andy was. Um, and uh, still is. He's retired now, though. And Andy was from Aberdeen and, you know, spent his his TV career at STV in Glasgow. So we would have heard all of that. So I think that might have, it might even have um, played into his, you know, might have, Put into the way that he designed Sky, you never know. So, yeah, so Richard Bart for me was absolutely terrific. And on TV, they were all kind of older men. I mean, Big Archie was a great, great operator, great commentator. Um, Arthur Montford seemed like my grandfather at the time. Um, but I like, I, re- I really like Doogie Donnelly because um, I didn't realize at the time just how good Doogie Donnelly was, but Doogie, Doogie was uh, the kind of younger guy. And again, he was the Radio Cloud morning DJ. So, you the Radio Cloud mid morning DJ doing sports scene. And then the Radio Cloud lunchtime DJ Richard Park doing Super Scoreboard. So my the two sort of favourite programmes, um, the two the two of the more cutting edge, um, uh, were the ones I liked. I think when you were saying there about you know TV guys like Archie McPherson, I think he was the first commentator that I actually heard. Um, I can't remember exactly what game he was commentating, but I always remember his famous voice and. And you, I suppose in the last he's obviously retired now. We've not heard him in a while, but he, his his commentary style is uh, something that I think um, it's something that I adored, and it's something that um, I, I think it's it will last long in the memory of many. You know, football well, fans. <clears throat> where where Archie beats everyone else. I was with him recently doing an interview with him for a, a documentary about Dennis Law that's uh, airing this year. And he's in his 80s now, and he's still as sharp as a knife, Archie. He's still got that great, great voice. Archie's skill for me was he's a great wordsmith. Mm. Just an unbelievable wordsmith. Um, in fact, if you were to play in the clip of his commentary at the start of the famous game where Dundee stopped Hibbs winning the... Uh, in the famous game where Dundee stopped hearts winning the league is you know his introduction to that is like nothing you would expect from a television commentator on sport you know where, where cliches and stats are i think i think commentary nowadays is too stat orientated whereas archie's a great turn of phrase and mm. um, yeah you know, people often compare archie to arthur montford because they were the two prominent commentators in the 70s and 80s for me archie's at a different level Mm. Way, way above the rest. So he was great. And when Archie came to work for us at Radio Clyde, Archie left BBC Sports Scene after the World Cup in 1990, fell out with the uh, the controller of the channel uh, who wanted him to be more positive about um, Scotland being humiliated by Costa Rica, you know, one of the most bizarre executive choices. Archie left. Um, BBC poached Jock Brown from STV. STV poached the great Jerry McNee from Radio Clyde and Archie, you know, the sort of merry-go-round was complete when Archie went to Radio Clyde. And I didn't realise how good a voice Archie had until I heard it on the radio. <laughs> you know, what a voice and what a turn of phrase, you know. And by the way, a good journalist as well. 
Archie McPherson in those days, Radio Clyde until that point, had been journalistically weak, um, with the exception, exception probably a few key events in the sense it was all very much about, you know, it was all very much kind of match preview stuff and basic match preview stuff, the sort of stuff that, you, you know, bore you to death. Mm-hmm. Whereas Big Archie got you into the deeper issues. So I would, I would play Archie the stuff down the phone of uh, interviews and say, right, Archie, I've got you this clip of Graham Souness saying he's really looking forward to the game. It's going to be a difficult game against Falkar. And he went, rubbish. Um, play me the interview down the phone and um, play them the interview. And write, oh, that, that clip there about Mark Walters being a magician and opening up new avenues and, and give me that clip there of Billy McNeil saying that Paul McStay will win the old firm game and here's why. You know, stuff like that. You know, he just, it was a different level, a different depth. And I'm very appreciative of Big Archie for teaching me that. As I say, he raised Radio Clyde to a new level, like a network level. Mm. Um, I know that will not be hugely popular with some people, but um, it's absolutely true, you know. And guys like Hugh Keevans became, you know, reveled in that because suddenly, you know, they were dealing with like-minded individuals and Davy Proven in particular really came on, um, you know, at, at that period, I think, you know, so, yeah. Um, you speak a bit about Radio Clyde. Now, you mentioned just at the start of the um, the episode that you started there when you were 16. How, how did that come around for, for a 16-year-old? Well, I was in sixth year at school in Bishopbriggs, and I was bunking off, or I had a free period, uh, and I was listening to Radio Clyde in the morning, Dougie Donnelly's show I spoke about earlier. And Dougie did a, read out a promotion for a radio training course with um, a group called Community Service Volunteers, CSV, which was part of the kind of sister organization of Clyde Action, which in those days, um, possibly still do, um, arranged cash for kids and stuff like that. The community arm of, you know, I mean, local radio in those days was properly local and did a fabulous job in the community. And it, it was a radio training course that Dougie was promoting uh, for unemployed young people. And I thought, well, I am unemployed because I'm at school. <laughs> um, and I phoned them up on the number at their offices at Clyde Street in Glasgow. And they're like, mm, well, you know. Um, anyway, they phoned me back and said, look, we've decided to let you in, but you need, this is when we would do it. So you'd have to ask school for permission to, to bog off into town. And school were fine. So on a Monday afternoon, um, I would... Pop, pop in the bus into town, walked into Hospital Radio Glasgow studios, which then and possibly now um, were in Argyle Street. And the course was being run by a guy called Doogie Jackson, who was a, an assistant producer at Radio Clyde at the time, then became a DJ, so was a well-known voice on Radio Cl- uh, Clyde 1, as it became, and uh, Scott FM, uh, Real Radio. And, you know, I just learned about the, just learned some stuff about it. And but I didn't realize at the time, but I was quite a natural at operating all the equipment and a, a good year for the sound. And um, one day, Diggy phoned me at home and it was chatting to me and I could hear in the background theme, the, theme, the theme music to a Radio Clyde show at the time called Chick Young's Souvenir Programme. And someone was in the background, it was, it was kind of going, you know, someone was editing, you know. Um, you don't get that noise now on digital, but they were spooling backwards and forwards, editing this tape. Chick's programs needed a lot of editing. Sorry, Chico. And he said, look, um, are you free on Saturday afternoon? Now, that Saturday afternoon, I knew I would be at the old firm game commentating to the blind fans. Um, and I said, yes, I'm free on Saturday afternoon. So I knew it was going to say, he said, would you like to come in and and help out? Uh, we're, we're, a, we're a man down, we're a boy down. Um, would you like to come in and make the tea and help out and answer the phones on the open line and all the rest of it? You know, and I remember thinking, I've made it. <laughs> this is where I want, this is, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to, um, I'm not, so yes. And that's how it started. And um, I got the, 
used to get the bus into town and then get the train out to Clyde Bank on a Saturday morning and it started from there. 15 quid a shift. Stefan, 15 quid a shift, which was big money for a 16, you know, let me tell you, you know, once you started, they added midweek games on and Friday, Friday afternoon editing shifts. Um, I was, I was cash rich. Um, I was making even more money than the, the guys at school who were doing milk rounds um, and didn't require an afternoon kip during double physics. So that's how it started. How I suppose this is just an off the cuff question here. How much do you think that's changed now? What are the likelihood of of someone who's sixteen now getting into somewhere like Radio Clyde or, or BBC Scotland? No idea, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know what what they do. I mean, there's a lot of guys um, have come through that kind of um, assistant producer or production assistant role at Radio Clyde. Daryl Curry did it after me. Uh, Emma Dodds did it after me. Um, there were quite a few um, over the years. Ross King on GMTV did it before me, uh, a few years before me. So it was a real kind of grounding, if you like, um, for for young people. You know, because I mean, the, it's a frenetic program. Mm. Not so much now. It's more sort of a bit more laid back. It's more chat based now. But there's a lot of production elements in it when I was doing it, mm. um, and. Uh, yeah, it was it was terrific fun. It was absolutely terrific fun. I'd like to think that young people can get a chance to get in there because, you know, I learned so much by osmosis um, from working with these extraordinary professionals, mm. um, and uh, you know, listening to football people chat and all the rest of it, and you know, you get you get a little bit of an understanding for a game. Not as much as I did sitting with Neil McCann for the best part of a decade, you know, and Gordon Strachan talking you through games and giving you notes and all the rest of it, you know, a lot more as an adult that way, but it was still, you still, and editing interviews every week, you, you got a real feel for how to talk to football people and, you know, and what not to say, you know, so, you know, I, I, it was my job to edit out the, what do you mean by that? What? Type responses and, and stuff went wrong. So it was a, a terrific, Terrific grounding because they say that some of the professionals there at the time were just unbelievable, you know. Mm, no, de- definitely. Um, you know, you men- mentioned a, a few of them. Uh, Hugh Evans uh, spoke to Hugh once um, for an interview I did at, um, at college, and it, the guy is just, he, it's almost when you, when you hear his extensive knowledge of football, it's like a, it's a breath of fresh air in a way. Um, mm. Absolutely love Hugh Evans. Um, Again, a wonderful wordsmith. Mm. Wonderful wordsmith. Absolutely. He, he used a phrase, and uh, it's not a word that would have been in my vocabulary, or a word that would have been in my vocabulary, but at the time, he, um, and we'll come on to talk a little bit later between Celtic and Rangers, but he said at the time, it was 2017, they went, there's a yawning chasm between them. And I can't help, but when he when he said that, when he said that word, yawning chasm, I couldn't help but just picture it in my head. And it was, <sighs> it was one of those things. He's got that ability with, with his words to, to actually make, make you picture it so a, an absolute gentleman um you yeah, worked you worked with sky for a lengthy spell um mm. what, what was your favorite part of that journey well the thing with sky the thing that was great about sky again you were working with fabulous fabulous professionals you know saturday night down at uh, sky hq sitting next to kelly kate or georgie thompson or david jones um was just Absolutely fabulous, you know. I love walking into uh, London, and George Best could be sitting there having a cup of tea before doing soccer Saturday with Jeff and the boys back in the day. It was absolutely wonderful, and it was just a great privilege covering live football because I knew how much it matters to people, um, and I always knew how lucky I was working there as well because you know, this is say particularly when I started, it was a much smaller organisation. The standards in those days, I mean, Richard Keyes and Andy Gray, my goodness me, just so, so good. Mm. So good. And in Scotland, we had Jim White, who's this, you know, amazing, um, energetic guy. And he's still going in his 60s now. And, you know, doesn't look, doesn't, he looks, he's always in his early 40s. But Whitey was, um, and I'd worked with Whitey at STV 
on the last days of Scottsport. And um, it was, you know, the energy that the guys got for stories and phoning people and getting opinions and, you know, making a noise about stuff, you know, it was just a tremendous guy. Jim White taught me one amazing thing and that was to aim high. Mm. And, you know, if you want to interview the reserve fullback, go for it. I'll go for Pelly. You know, that was, Jim always did that. And if you didn't get Pelly, you'd have to make do with Maradona or Cruyff. You know, so that's, that's the kind of lessons you learn from these guys. So you, you were dealing with some exceptional professionals. I say Andy Melvin, who was the deputy MD in charge of production. Hmm. And he built Sky. The reason why there were so many Scots, not so much now, sadly, but the reason there were so many Scots was that Andy, the Scot, you know, Andy Melvin in his office at a, photograph of the Aberdeen team of the open top bus going up Union Street to the townhouse with the European Cup Winners Cup. Um, and there were a lot of, you know, he appointed guys because they knew they could do a job. And uh, you went there and you worked hard, you get well re re uh, remunerated for it. And it was just wonderful because you were always proud of what you did. Um, the guy, it was back then, Sky's Scottish coverage was produced in Glasgow. Colin Davidson, the executive producer, was a really clever, clever guy, really bright guy, bright TV guy, and a bright football brain as well, by the way. Mm. And um, I, another Aberdeen fan, by the way. Um, and he, you know, uh, you know, beat me into shape. Um, very clever guy. And, you know, it was. It was quite a culture shock going in there because STV was quite laid back in comparison and quite slack in comparison, whereas there the standards were really, really high. And um, it was just a, a, a terrific experience, you know, because, you know, um, I, I met Jim Watt uh, at a function just before lockdown I was hosting. And um, and Jim left Sky quite recently and he was saying, you know, he said, I think we got the best of it, you know, when it was a the organization was all about sport, whereas much, much bigger now. It's, it's a massive, massive corporation now compared to what it was. Mm. Um, massive employer now. But it was t terrific fun and enjoyed every minute of it. Um, traveling over 30 countries and presenting uh, games and presenting news and digging up stories and visiting steelworks and Donetsk and uh, Belarus and the Bernabeu and you know I was lucky enough I got to interview Beckenbauer, Beckham, uh, Maradona told me to f off, but um, <laughs> nonetheless, you know Messi and I was very lucky. I did the I was the the reporter when Ronaldo made his Real Madrid debut, so stuff like that was just fantastic. So very 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 pleased to to have, to have been there and um, got it. You know, and you come out of it so much better than you went in as well. You know, so very, very, very fortunate. And um, I say it's um, a different culture now. It's a different, a different channel now. Um, but uh, it's still, you know, there's, there's still the Premier League production, in particular, is just fantastic. So, um, great, great place to be. No, definitely. That absolutely sounds like it. Um, some of the fantastic names you, you've mentioned there, like Beckenbauer, Beckham, like great names of football. Um, has the media changed much since you started? Well, the media's changed a great deal. Uh, the digital age, and the, uh, like the satellite TV age before it, um, has, you know, TV and the media is always influenced in its development by tech development. Hmm. So the invention of the printing press allowed for the newspaper. Mm. The Marconi's work allowed for radio. Uh, Logie Baird's work allowed for television in the same way that someone invented a way of encrypting TV pictures. In other words, putting a turnstile, if you like, on, uh, on a television set allowed for subscription TV and therefore Sky, and therefore football, which revolutionized the TV industry and it revolutionized football. Mm. So it's, all, it's always tech-led. And so therefore that, 
it has changed a great deal. You know, when I started at STV, which was 95, you'd be going to games covering, in those days, BBC had a, had a highlights game with five cameras at it, big Jock Brown doing the commentary. Uh, STV had five cameras uh, with Jerry McNee doing the commentary. Um, and the other games were single cameras shot by STV for Scottsport. So BBC only had one game and we had the other games in the Premier Division, which could have been five other games or four other games, depending on the size of the league at the time. And we had two games from Division One, what's now the Championship, which were terrific. That, that meant that uh, Championship clubs, and I think this should be happening now on sports scene. I've said it for years. I mean, the, the Championship clubs get profile an advert, if you like, on the telly every week. And I remember going to games like Hibs getting promotion and... I remember going to Hibs' first game in the championship when the SPL was starting and Hibs were on the dark side of the moon um, playing Hamilton that day. And it was just, you know, I remember really feeling for Alex McLeish that day. Um, and I remember, again, uh, the championship um, doing Chrissy Waddle's debut for Clyde Bank at the old Brockville. You know, Chris Waddle. Imagine Chris Waddle playing for, um, for Falkirk. Um, but he's got a terrific goal. Uh, for Falkirk against Clyde Bank that day, you know, and that, that picture pops up every now and again. So it, it was um, it was terrific. But those games, when I left the ground with the tapes for those games, now be it a Celtic game, a Rangers game, or a, or a Clyde Bank game at Falkirk, I was the only guy who had the tape of that game. Mm-hmm. Literally no one else had seen those pictures until I get back to the office at the old STD building at Cowcaddens. Whereas now... They're beamed live around the world. People watch them <laughs> legally or otherwise. Um, and the pictures are everywhere. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's incredible. I always used to say to them, when, when I was sometimes with my great pal, Fraser Robertson, who sadly died last year, Fraz and I were the two young reporters. And that, you also had to edit some of the commentary games as well. Um, and... We, we, I say we oversaw the edit with, with a, a, a VT editor and, and some of these guys were um, guys like Robert Scott and Jerry Brogan, real talented, talented guys. And they, but we used to take the, the tapes back for the first half. It wasn't, SD didn't pay for a satellite feed, mm. um, but we used to take the tapes back to Cowcaddens in the back of a car. I used to, or a, a taxi, you used to think, what if we lose these tapes? What happens if the car crashes? Um, what happens if the engine goes on fire? And of course, the games would be lost. It was, it was mental when you think about it. So that's changed a great deal. Um, the fact that these games are all beamed live everywhere now, around the world now. Um, and, you know, I, I worked at Radio Clyde in the first place, and Radio Clyde's signal generally would fade in those days when you got to about Livingston in the car. Mm. You know, and, you know, but I could be on Sky News and people would be texting me for, oh, God, we're on holiday in Johannesburg, watching you in the hotel room. Huh. Um, and I remember arriving on honeymoon with my wife in uh, Mauritius, put the TV on, and the, literally the first before the picture came on, all I heard was the unmistakable tones of Jim White. You know, so you went around the world. It, 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 so satellite, um, the rise in satellite broadcasting has totally changed things and the internet, of course, um, put it onto another level as well. So it's changed a, a great deal. Um, and, you know, it's far more exciting. It's far, far more immediate. I'm not entirely sure what the future is for 24-hour news channels, given that all the stuff you see on it, you've seen on your phone already. Mm. But it's at least nice to get professionals doing it and, you know, trained um, professionals doing it as opposed to the crackpots on um, Twitter, like the outgoing president of the United States, for example. I'll, I'm, I'll, I'll touch on that in a second, but just what you were saying there about um, 24-hour news, I've been watching this US election unfold since Tuesday, and I remember, um, you know, being in my room, and I was on my phone, and I was looking at this news, and um, it came up that Joe Biden had won Wisconsin, 
And I shouted through to my dad because he's a politics lover. And I went, oh, that's Joe Biden won Wisconsin. He went, who told you that? And I went, I've seen it on Twitter. And he went, I don't believe that. And then two seconds, two minutes later, it came through on Sky saying, Joe Biden's won Wisconsin. He came through and apologized and said that um, he did <laughs> it in the dad, first. Your dad's right. You've got to check everything now. Mm. You've got to check everything. Um, you know, check, check your sources. It's more important than ever before. To check your sources because um, there, there is, as Trump Trump is right in saying there is a lot of fake news out there. Unfortunately, Trump um, looks at facts that he doesn't like. If he doesn't like them, then he says it's fake news. <laughs> um, I suppose fake news, it's only fair to go on to, to social media now, um, which is a mm. massive key component of it. That leads us on very nicely to social media. <laughs> It's a key component of a journalist, um, you know, these days. How do you deal with that aspect of it? I uh, I only joined Twitter and Instagram after I left Sky, um, and Facebook for that matter. Uh, I always felt as though it was a bit of a liability and I didn't quite understand it. Um, mm. I regret that now, actually. Having said that, I might have ended up getting the sack. Um uh, occasionally, occasionally, I'm honest on it, <laughs> um, but I think it's exciting. I like the fact it's a, it's a news feed. Mm. Um, I think one thing you've got to be very careful about is if there's a lot of manure coming out of your phone, you mm. don't let that get into your head. You don't let people wipe the mess on their shoes on the the carpet of your mind. Mm. So I mute them, you know. Um, it's important to tweet with a smile. Yeah. I always tweet with a smile. Um, and sometimes people get very, very offended at things. And you think, how on earth have you become offended at that? So I'm learning, you know, three years into it now that uh, I'm learning how to handle it. But sometimes they get so offended. Um, it's uh, it's unbelievable yeah. um, the, the response they get, you know. And of, course, and of course, they read what they like as well. Um, and you can suddenly, one of the things I don't, do you know, do you know the thing I don't like about it is you get these bastards and they are bastards uh, who are influencers, right? Uh, and there's two clubs in particular where influencers do this and I'll let you work out for yourself who that is. But what they do is they, they quote retweet you and, you know, and they'll, they'll put a spin on what you've said. And all of a sudden, and most of them I've muted. I never block, give them the credit for that, but I mute a lot of them. But they, um, and these guys have always got fundamentalists following them, really unpleasant people. And suddenly your phone lights up and you've got all these idiots saying stupid things. You think, how on earth could you say that about that particular comment? And then you think, these guys don't follow me. So they follow someone else and they're all inarticulate and can't spell and, Say use. The plural of you when I was at school was you, not use. Uh, so whenever you see all of that, you go, oh, and the sectarianism comes in as well. And you go, my God. And so then you trace back where they're looking at it. And of course, it's one of these bastard influencers. And they're just nasty. And they know that they're misrepresenting you. Um, but some of, the, some of them are very bewildered, damaged people. Um, that shouldn't be allowed near uh, any form of uh, tool that permits um, what is effectively broadcasting, you know, the, the dissemination of information and views to, to multiple people, you know. Mm. And that, I think, has been quite unpleasant, you know. As I say, in the, in the, it's the same at a lot of clubs, but, but certainly some of them are quite troubled people, you know. So that, that side of it I find quite daft, you know. As I say, they... They deliberately misrepresent what you've said just mm. for the devilment, you know, and you just think, grow up. Really? Really? But but a lot of it's really, really nice. But I, enjoy, I enjoy having chats with people and whatnot. And um, and I do take time to, to talk to people. And sometimes, you know, if they do react to stuff, I mean, I, I start, I'll give you a great example. And this is something I don't know whether I resolved it as such, but I've, I've launched a new podcast mm. called The Edinburgh Football Show. And I hardly need to explain to you what that's about. I think it rather does what it says in the tin. But a young lady took great offence at the fact that I tweeted about this because 
clearly somebody who's a friend of ours um, has been doing some Edinburgh football podcast. And therefore, I didn't mention that when I was promoting mine with Derek Rarden and Stephen Presley and um, Andy Driver. Um, and I said, well, wait a minute, I don't have to do that. I said, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to denigrate what anyone else has been doing. Um, so would you mind, you know, and I'm not, and she said, you're, you're not, you should show um, good, good grace by mentioning them. I thought, I don't want to lecture on what's good grace from you when you're <laughs> butting into my life and abusing me like this. But I just kept going with her. And I thought, I'm going to put this right here because this is the sort of thing when they that can suddenly grow arms and legs and you can suddenly be the big nasty TV guy who's coming in and crapping all over the, the laddies who are making the podcast. Nothing could be further from the truth. But she decided that. Mm. And I thought, I'm not having that. So I'm going to I'm going to discuss this and baffle you or hit you with facts rather than, but it was just pure supposition and assumption, you know, and you think, oh my God. So that, that, that frustrates me a wee bit, but I do take the time to, to deal with stuff like that. Um, people say I shouldn't, but um, as I say, uh, some, you know, I, I would like people to be happy with what they see rather than being kind of angered and offended by it because that's never my intention. Honest. Honest, Stefan. I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there that people get offended at the, the, the craziest of things that you tweet. I remember tweeting a, a couple of months ago that um, I was bewildered at the fact that people put crisps on a sandwich and I had a guy DM me. It's extraordinary behaviour. Crisps on a sandwich. It's not something that ever dawned to me that would be a, a, a delicious snack. And and my own error in judgment, I have tried it and it's actually quite a good snack. But I it's, oh, I'm not having that. I'm not having that. <laughs> Stick to your guns. Your your first your first reaction was right. Did it not like the crisps not cut the back of your mouth? No, I, I didn't find that. But I thought that that would, and I didn't I didn't appreciate um, you know the texture that that would be of the crunchy of the crisps and the soft soft the and crunchy. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think it would it would be a nice snack, but I've, I've learned and. I, I, I'm not going to say I would eat it again, but I quite enjoyed it. But this guy DM'd me, and he was utterly outraged. You know, that that I I couldn't like crisps on a sandwich because he absolutely loved it, and because he absolutely loved it, he was right and I was wrong. And it's one of the the craziest and weirdest DMs of of uh, I say one of the weirdest. I had another weird DM, but um, I'm not going to get into that. But um, I, I yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Full of, of people that uh, I, I don't know. It's a, a dark underbelly for me. Um, as much as I think people read one thing and they make a decision on it. Mm, yeah, you know, I, I could say Stefan Carlin is a great guy, and someone will look at it and just and they'll say he's called him a wanker. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's as ridiculous as that. So pe- people either don't bother to read it or they just make it up. And I yeah. think nowadays people. Um, and particularly on social media, they, they rely on their belief system mm. rather than the facts. And this particularly applies to politics, particularly in Scotland, actually. Um, and, you know, it's belief-based rather than fact-based. And, uh, you know, you have to underpin your work if you're a journalist on fact. But, of course, that's of, uh, of little uh, concern to some. But, listen, the, the media has, has, since I started, it's really changed because of social media. Um, we broadcast and talked at the audience, mm. and then went home. Now it was a mon- it was a monologue. Now it's a dialogue where we we're engaging all the time. In fact, funnily enough, there was a there was a real kerfuffle recently at Celtic when Mohamed El Yunusi was subbed off in a Europa League shambles at Parkhead. And the camera showed him having a quick look at his phone and putting it in his pocket. And Chris Sutton, for whatever reason, kind of, you know, who's brilliant at delivering a hot take, you know, landing punches, said, oh, this is a disgrace. It's not a disgrace, but it's a good Rami. But this became like the big thing on Twitter. It's a disgrace. Paul Lambert said he'd besmirched the memory of Jock Steen. <laughs> Christ. That's for nonsense. And um, I thought, 
I'm I'm going to challenge that. I'm going to challenge that. But it it became a fact that Mo Elianusi was, you know, uh, dissing Celtic and dissing the manager. Yeah. Just checking the scores. I mean, even, you know, checking the scores. Um, listen, I've sat in behind dugouts, beside dugouts, all around the world. I've seen players look at their phones, you mm-hmm. know, on a sneaky peek uh, when they're in the dugout. He wasn't even in the dugout. So, yeah, stuff like that can, as I say, the, these ra- Rammies come up. But it's different now. We do have a dialogue now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was very keen to engage with a lot of people on that particular topic. But just because I felt, you know, they, they had invented... Uh, they've been given a, a reality that might not have been true, and it became fact. And that—that's one of the strange things about this particular time. No, hey I, ho. I, I agree with that. Um, that Can I would. give you a great quote? I saw Stefan. Just saying. Yeah, go for it. I was at—I love the Edinburgh Festival, the Edinburgh Book Festival, um, and I went to see Jeremy Bowen, the old BBC uh, correspondent, mm. and he was asked about Twitter and social media, and he just shook his head and he said, "Goebbels." I've loved it. And Google's, of course, in charge of the the messaging for the the Nazis. I mean, <laughs> he would have loved it. And I thought, well, he, that, that's that's a very very good point. That's a good point. I'm going to keep that quote. I like that. Um, <laughs> Scottish football, according to some, is played down and undersold. What would you say to those that hold that belief? In what way is it played down and undersold? I think for me, I think we hear. You know, people talking about you know certain players, and I think Scott McKenna was was a key one where people were saying that he was never worth seven million that Aberdeen wanted when when Celtic were interested in him. And I was like, well, as much as maybe his his value wasn't seven million, why should if Aberdeen believe he's worth seven million, why should we why should we undersell that? Um, and I think that's just one one of the key key examples of, of people. Uh, listen, uh, I mean Virgil Van Dyke, you know, became an eighty million pound um, player. What did he go down south for? Was it ten, twelve million? And when he went to Southampton, yeah. The, real, the reality is the players are not tested as much in Scotland. Right, that's a fact. Yeah. Um, now they'll have a tough. I mean, Van Dyke. Did Van Dyke even play in an old firm game? I don't think he did. He, so he, he literally. Did League Cup semi-final 2015 would it have been? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I mean, Rangers never laid a glove on them. Was <laughs> Kenny McDowell the manager at that time? Um, oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, he never was tested. He did very well against Barcelona though. Mm. Um, but they like to know that they can do it week in, week out, and there's a consistency level about it. Mm. Now, you could see that he was a class act, but. Was he an eighty million pound player at the time? Probably not. But playing in the Premier League every week, up against the best, many of the best players in the world, he became better. So, I think players are now reaching a higher valuation. But the league has improved um, in recent years. But also the amount of players at Celtic um, have shipped down from you know when Yama and even guys like Key did really well, yeah. um, and Virgil obviously. Um, then you add on to that guys like uh, Super John McGinn, uh, Kieran Tierney, um, Andy Robertson, for God's sake. Yeah. You know, these guys have been down there and done really well. Um, I know he's not Scottish, but Stephen Davis was doing what a, what a career he had at, at Southampton. Yeah. Um, coming down from Scotland, you know. Um, well-respected guys. So the, they were going down in big numbers. And not just uh, Scots. Um, there were foreign players as well as I say, you know. So I think when Yama was stands out as being someone who had a terrific career at Tottenham, mm. um, I think that helps with the credibility without a shadow of a doubt, you know. And I think we have to give a lot of credit to that to John Park, who was the scout at Celtic, who brought a lot of these guys in, you know. Uh, you know, there were a lot of guys who were crap, um, <laughs> particularly strikers as well, Thank but by the same token, um, John, what an eye had, Fraser Foster, for God's sake. You know, so these guys, um, you know, going down south makes a big, big difference to the credibility of the league. And I think that's helped with the valuation of guys like McKenna um, and others. So, yeah, listen, it's natural. Um, it's natural. Um, but um, good players will go. They will, they will go eventually um, and they'll find their level. But um, as I say, unfortunately, the Scottish clubs don't always benefit from that. But they have in recent times, which I'm very pleased about. Mm-hmm. 
you've worked with obviously we've spoken about your time at Sky and uh, you did a stint at BT what were the differences um, from a, a production side of covering Scottish football? I really enjoy working for BT. I mean, it's not probably not. I, I still do stuff for them as well. And I think one of the one of the things that they're really strong on, they've got a strong uh, producer uh, production team in Glasgow. Um, the match director and executive producer Grant Phillips, a really talented guy, he knows the Scottish game inside and out. And um, uh, Martin Keegan, um, who is a producer, really talented guy, he knows the game inside out. Um, so they, you know, I think that helps. I think it's difficult sometimes if, if Sky don't have a guy up in Glasgow, I'm not, um, and I think they're, they're pointing one at the moment, then it's, it's, it can be difficult. But um, it's just a different way of doing it. Mm. Um, and I think that that was exciting. I think they, a lot of the chat on BT Sport was, was, was relevant to the wider game, um, where Sky focused on the actual game itself. So... Yeah, you have to make a choice, which is, which is, um, what, what, what is it you want to hear? Do you want to hear talk about that particular game? Um, or do you want to hear talk about every game and then go to the game? It, it was just, it was just different. So I think, I think the, um, the, ma- the match coverage itself um, was, was fairly similar, but they, 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 they broke a few, they broke a few rules, like not being in a studio and being out and about and, um, and having a laugh. And Sky was always quite serious about football. Mm. You know, because it is serious, um, you know, and the, the Sky was a reaction to the what was the, the coverage before, which was Saint and Greavesy, and it was all slapstick and jokes and all the rest of it, um, mm. and it became big business overnight because of Sky, and they treated it seriously. So, and BT Sport were more irreverent. So it was a kind of, um, you know, it was just an evolution, um, and. Who's to say it'll not flip back in the other direction next year? What are your thoughts on the current Celtic team? They're a gi- it's a ginormous corporation. It's a corporate juggernaut built on a culture of success. Mm. And they have dominated Scottish football, frankly, unchallenged for much of the, the nine years. And there have been some key players in that that made it happen. In particular, Scott Brown. Mm. Scott Brown has a will to win and has a character that, for me, will be irreplaceable at Celtic. John McGinn should have been the one, but they let him go. But Scott Brown is irreplaceable. And Scott's getting older, and there's no shame in that. And there's no shame if his legs are beginning to slow down a bit. There's no shame in that. I wouldn't write him off, as some are doing at the moment. But what I will say is, on the evidence, particularly of European performances, and particularly of a pathetic old firm game, this is a Celtic team that looks like it's reaching the end of a long road, a road that was paved with gold and silver. But we also need to remember that COVID has been in that football club, Mm. which will have a lingering effect, possibly for months for those who had it. Key players were out of the old firm game. Key players were out of the AC Milan game. Key players have been recovering. So that might make a difference. But my big worry is there are players who don't look as though they want to be there. For, I mean, Tom Rogic was halfway to Qatar mm. and had allowed himself to disappear out of the picture. Now, for me, he's been one of the most important figures in nine in a row. Scores the winning goal dramatically in the first treble under Brendan in the last minute of the Scottish Cup final against Aberdeen. He uh, he scored that amazing last-minute goal at Kilmarnock, mm. which broke the back of Aberdeen's challenge because they went and lost it at Motherwell the same yeah. day. I was at both games, actually. And um, so he he's, he's that important. But there's been talk, if he doesn't want to be there, if Odson Edward... Is, doesn't want to be there. And Odson's been there almost four years. I think he's done his bit now. Mm. In the frozen, the frozen north, I think he's done his bit. So it's time for him to go. I, I get that. But that's no use to Neil Lennon. Same with Sham. if he doesn't want to be there. So Neil's got to deal with that. But ultimately, Neil Lennon was put into battle against Ferenc Varos in the Champions League qualifier 
and had not been strengthened. His team had not been strengthened. And as I say, they've been at the well so often, it's inevitable that legs will start to go. You know, playing in training, you know, full tempo under Brendan Rodgers and the high pressing game. You know, that'll take its toll. A lot of mileage has been clocked up. Mm. So I think it's a very, very worrying period for, for Celtic. But the worst performance I have seen from a Celtic team at Hampden Park in an old firm game last year led to them walking away with the League Cup. Mm. So don't write that off. But this is a different Rangers team this year. Mm. Um, much more resilient, winning games when they're not, uh, if they don't play well. And people get very offended when I said that recently. Um, I was praising Rangers that they were winning games when playing, playing poorly. But oh, we weren't playing, playing poorly at all. It was a master class in all the rubbish. <laughs> I hear eyes. Um, but they look like a team that's more resilient. But can they get beyond January? I remember interviewing Mikko Lustig after Celtic had been handed nine in a row. Um, and he said, well, he said Celtic deserved it. He said, we always waited for Rangers to crumble and they always did. So they have to prove him wrong after January. And that is the, the key time for me. Yeah. I, I took stick um, a couple of weeks ago because I said that I, I think Rangers have, have vastly improved. And, and someone hit back with Rangers haven't improved. <laughs> Celtic have just regressed. And it, it made but, me think. I mean, that's clearly factually inaccurate. Mm. I mean, every measurable, um, every measurement. Uh, tells you that uh, that they have improved, for God's sake. Um, I mean, their shutouts alone would tell you that. And again, recording shutouts in Scotland is not necessarily impossible. Mm. Um, but they are doing it, and Celtic aren't necessarily doing it at the moment. So I think they, yeah, I mean, Rangers clearly have improved, and Celtic are. If they've not regressed, they're certainly going through a, a, a poor period. But by the way, going back to Celtic, Fraser Forster should have been, they should have burst the bank for Fraser Forster. And instead, they've got a Greek guy who looks like a dud. Um, and they've got rid of Craig Gordon, um, who was offered an 80% pay cut. In other words, we don't want you anymore, beat it. Mm -hmm. uh, but we'll tell the fans that you were offered a new contract. Craig Gordon uh, um, has revolutionized hearts, got, you know, knocked Hibs out of the cup almost in his own. Mm. Um, and yet could have been at Celtic. So there's been some major decisions made, and those decisions are not made by the manager. So come back to Celtic, Neil Lennon has been let down by player recruitment and player retention. And what about Rangers? Do you think they're strong enough this season to end 10 in a row? Yeah, I think they are. I think they were strong enough last season to do it, and um, somebody had his head turned. Um, I think Morel, they were too reliant on Morelos. Now they're not. Um, and Morelos actually is back playing uh, again mm. um, and scoring goals in big games. And of course, this is the season where he broke Ali McCoy's European goals record, which is incredible when you think about it, because he's only been there for, what, is this his fourth season now? Yeah. Um, so they look stronger in every position. Uh, Ryan Kent looks better this year. They've got a better defence. It's not, uh, as we saw in recent times at Benfica where there were bad mistakes made for the goals there they, but they left with a point which is incredible really against a Champions League style team so I think Rangers actually look Champions League ready now mm. Celtic I mean they're struggling in the Europa League yeah. so I mean that's that's awful Celtic yeah. should be in the Champions League but they're nowhere near nowhere near it so that's a pretty damning indictment and for me that that in itself sums up the decline in the, the football club in the last couple of years but as I say I saw this 20 years ago with Rangers um, and their nine in a row team you know it just it just suddenly got up the knees started hurting and you know um, guys had had enough of it and you know the intensity of it they wanted to try something new and I, I see that at Celtic. Mm. No absolutely and I think that's been the, the motto over the years is uh, you know don't write them off because they they have the experience to do it. Um, but yeah, definitely worrying uh, times, as you said. Um, well, David, that's all the questions I've I've got for you today. I can't thank you enough for for coming on to the podcast and and ultimately telling your your story about your career and answering a, a few few other questions for us. Um, just briefly, you said that you're you're obviously starting up. You you've got your own podcast. Um, 
already. Um, if you want to go ahead and plug it once more, feel free. <laughs> well, it's called the Edinburgh Football Show. Um, and it's, it's about hearts and hibs and Edinburgh City as well. Um, I think it's important to, to mention them because they're the three SPFL teams. Um, we might expand it to the Lowland League as well, Spartans and such like. And um, um, I think in, in terms of our timings are pretty short, but yeah, there's, there's more room for manoeuvre. But it started off really well. People have enjoyed it. Um, I think the you know in Glasgow where you live, there's Radio Clyde, there's Go, there's Radio Scotland, there's the Max, there's umpteen outlets just doing old firm. And in Edinburgh, there isn't a, a proper um, Hearts and Hibs. Uh, there isn't a broadcaster doing Hearts and Hibs, which I think is a real shame. Mm. Um, so doing that. So if you want to follow it, it's uh, at Edinburgh Footy on Twitter and Instagram, at Edinburgh Footy. Um, and I'm at David Tanner TV at David Tanner TV. Give it a follow. Give it a listen. Give it a listen. Let me know what you think about it. Um, and um, and hopefully it, it's found a little niche that we can do some stuff with and make some entertaining and informative and irreverent as well, I suppose, um, content about Scottish football, some good programming. Um, as I say, I hear enough nonsense from the user-generated content market. Well, now I can, I'm going to add to that nonsense myself. Stefan, it's been a pleasure. Lovely to talk to you. did all enjoy that episode of the podcast as i said this episode was meant to be back out in december um but i had far too much going on and sadly i wasn't able to and then by the time i was able to we changed the format of the podcast to recap scottish football um but this alongside the interview i did with Derek ray was a top class episode and ultimately it has to get released it's too good to stay on the shelf um I just want to say, I say this at the end of every podcast, a massive thank you to every single person that has subscribed. Uh, it means a lot. Um, if you haven't already subscribed, then hit that follow button on Spotify, hit that subscribe button on iTunes. Um, the goal for this year, um, for 2021, is to reach 200 subscribers. That would be immense. It would be amazing. Um, podcast, we're doing, we're doing well. We're doing good things. Um, we've got a lot of content coming out Uh over the next couple of weeks, a lot of new people uh, that we've not heard on the podcast are coming on um, to recap all things Scottish football. So there is so much to look forward to. So if you haven't already subscribed, as I say, um, go ahead and do it because you don't want to miss out on what's coming up. Um, one final thing that I have to say is, again, if you haven't already followed the podcast on Twitter, it's at Stefano Talks. Um, we're going to be more active on there and you will find out who the latest guests are coming on the podcast, etc, etc, etc. So yeah, go over there, follow us on Twitter, at Stefano Talks. Um, and as I say, I really hope you enjoyed this episode with David. It was wonderful speaking to him. And um, if you haven't already heard his podcast, the Edinburgh Footy Podcast, then head on over there and give it a listen because as I say, it's a great podcast. Um, yep. I will see you all again next Monday from 4pm on Spotify, iTunes and Google Podcasts.